0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 30 of Business Therapy. I'm Sam Joshak, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Jonathan Adams. And today, we're joined by Bobby Soler. Hey, Bobby. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you guys for having me. I say my job.
0: Absolutely. Why don't you start by telling the audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and why you came onto the show today?
1: Sure. So uh, I'm a financial advisor. I work for a firm called Strategies for Wealth. Uh, I've been there about 12 years now. Our firm is a good mid-sized firm around the New York area. Area we have about 250 advisors. Uh, my particular practice is working with individuals and business owners. Probably a little, little more tilted toward the business owner. Um, so, for me particularly, I, I went to school for civil engineering. I'm kind of nerdy. I have a bunch of designations, and kind of the way I built my name in my in my firm is being the technical. Guy being the, the guy who can take on complicated situations, present them to clients, and uh, do the client, maintain the clients going forward, doing the client servicing. And what I struggle with sometimes is I have a younger team member. I have an assistant. I have some other staff that I could get resources to if I need to. Um, I, but I have a hard time passing on work that I want eventually to go to the client. A lot of times, I feel like I should just do it myself because I know I want it done a certain way, uh, and I know from everything I've heard through your podcast and, and business coaches that I should be spending more time in what I'm getting paid to do—my unique ability—and transacting with clients, servicing clients, and not doing the minutia. But I have a hard time transferring some work to the younger guys, who I don't think it's going to be done well. Um, so I'd love some insights, some some tactics, and and learn what you can teach me.
0: Excellent. I'm yeah. Rick.
2: The, the first question I would ask is, do you really want to scale? Do you really want to uh, delegate? And, and the way I'll break that down is, which parts of your job do you like? You, you just said that you like the technical aspect. You're, you're the guy who could put together some complex ideas. What are the parts you like? Uh, and, would you lose any of those if you start to scale?
1: So it's a really it's a it's a good question I've thought about uh, over the past couple of years as I started bringing people on trying to figure out what they they should be doing for me. So the reason why I want to scale, which I would imagine most people do in this, in a service type business you you can only service so many clients at one time and you need a certain economy of scale if you want your revenue to grow and have higher income and um, generate a bigger practice. So you need support staff to do it. And there are guys in my firm and I know other advisors who work at Merrill Lynch or wherever they are, they have a pretty good support staff. So I need to try to build that infrastructure if I wanna keep building my practice. So that's kind of the why around it. But definitely I, I could I could sit and just go through a spreadsheet all day I do it myself. I just just know it's it's too time consuming for me to do that when I should be having more client meetings and doing reviews and actually speaking with the clients. So um, there's some give and take there.
2: I'll just note when you when you speak about the things like the the scaling elements, there's a lot of should in it. Like you know, you should do this as Mm -hmm. opposed to what you like. So just you know, just for you know, maybe a little more time, just reflect more on what are the things you like to do not what you know you should be doing, because that distinction will keep haunting you as we progress through some of the, the, the ideas that we have.
1: Yeah, I, I appreciate you picking that up. I've, uh, I've, I've heard that before and then things that I've said, and uh, I appreciate you picking that up.
0: Yeah, and I'll jump in and say that this is a very common tension point for people. When you talk about delegation, you talk about trust, you talk about growing a team. And like you mentioned, you want to scale, that's the, 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 the goal. But as Jonathan is alluding to, there's oftentimes tension about enjoying the job you do and scaling having a natural tension of, you have to give up some of what you do or you have to train other people to do it so that you can get more business and do more. But that mm-hmm. has to be balanced with what you started the episode saying, which is you want to do more of what only you can do and you want to make sure that you're you know doubling down on the things that only you can do at your expertise level because then you get the best return on your time right. and and right. that's and and that's the trickiest part and i think a lot of a lot of what what really heavy expertise what's the word i'm trying to say I was like about to construct a very awkward sentence. People who have a lot of heavy technical expertise, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They have trouble separating what is that high value adding expertise from what could be delegated. And that's really a a process. It's it's an internal process reflection you have to go through first. And like Jonathan's saying, what do you like to do? But even further, I'd push you on. It's what is all that you do? Because a lot of times when you've been doing this job for a lot of years and you know how to do things and a lot of things you don't even have to think about doing. When right, you suddenly right. bring other people in, it's this, this issue of communicating your own process, the way you do it versus just the knowledge and then versus contextualizing it. So a lot of times the, the first step is really taking assessment, inventory, not only what you like to do, but just what all is it that you do?
2: And and I would still you know test the assumption that you have to scale because if in fact it turns out that the activities you enjoy doing are more hands-on and less about management, because once you delegate, a lot of your, you know, you start transitioning more and more to your time being spent managing as opposed to uh, doing. Uh, In those instances, you have to test, well, can I, in fact, make the most, let's say your goal is the most revenue for yourself uh, only if you scale, maybe in your current model, but is there a place, do, do you have such, you know, extraordinary technical expertise that Perhaps there's a way to pursue it just by doing that. You know, spending your time on the technical expertise. I'm not suggesting that that's what you do, but I just anytime the the the, the question is about scaling, you really want to test: Do you absolutely need to scale? Is that is that the approach that's going to be successful? That's uh, a that's
1: a that's a very it's a very fair question. Um, I haven't really thought about it in a way I think I just more blindly just seen other practices and, and seeing how they've how they've scaled and trying to replicate the model. Cause uh, sometimes you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You probably would argue with that, but uh, to just, I see, I see what works out there when they get to a certain point. And I just assume this is what I need to do. I need to bring in a junior guy. have my assistant. The goal is to have my junior guy take a little more uh, weight off my, off my shoulders and then bring in a junior guy below him to kind of build that, that natural growth process over the next five or 10 years.
2: Right, which is which is a should, you know, and, and right. maybe the should is the way it is because it's it's the right model, but you just want to test that it's the right model for you because the stamp started getting into when you scale, it's going to change a lot of, it's going to make you question a lot of things about yourself and going through that process is, is um, um, it's a very involved process. So you just want to make sure that your, your original assumption is correct. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. And maybe to start there as like a question for you to reflect on right now directly, do you want, do you want to grow? Where's the impetus coming from? Like you said, you've seen other models, you assumed, but I guess to, to stay on that point for a minute, do you want more income for yourself? Do you want more revenue? Is it an expectation from people above you? I guess, where's the impetus coming from?
1: Uh, so we're, we're kind of blessed in a, in a, from a management perspective, um, I've grown grown pretty well, so I don't have any management breathing down my neck and or asking me to produce more. I've I've been growing every year, and um, there's no there's no outside pressure. It's all coming from an internal, myself. Uh, I just have certain goals and aspirations, whether it's for my own personal finances or I used to play sports. I've done a, a bunch of endurance. Uh, Training. I've done endurance races. I've done Ironmans. It's it's just my personality. If I'm if I'm going to go out there, I'm going to run a four hour marathon because I'm a chubby guy. Maybe the next year I want to try to get down and knock off 15 minutes. So you it's it's a growing process. I think I'm always trying to challenge myself to grow. And I know you got to put yourself in uncomfortable positions to to grow. And um, this is one of my uncomfortable positions.
0: Hmm. And is your and is your block when you when you look at the hiring of staff as something to help you enable that growth? Is it because you are just literally streamlined personally and out of time? Like you just can't take on more because of? I guess where's the tension in your personal process that you feel that you need more help? That, what's driving that?
1: So it's interesting in, in the financial advisory model. Um, you you can only really service the right way, maybe like 100, 200 clients. And you're maybe 200 is too much, but somewhere around 100, 150. And as you continue to grow and you bring on new clients, there's natural attrition that happens in your business. Maybe it's not intentional. You might be neglecting that 200th client and they just finally get the the feeling that they should move on and then they leave and you're focusing on building the, the bigger clients. You're constantly going up, building larger clients and the smaller ones are dropping off. There, there are other advisors who have, who have we, we call them A, B, and C clients, your A client, being the one you wanna spend a lot of time with, your B clients, maybe you're interacting somewhat through the year and your C clients, maybe you're speaking to one every two years, you just don't have the time to get to them. If I can shift down some of my B and C clients to someone who I trust, it gives me more time to focus on my A clients. And that's probably where the majority of my revenue is being generated, but I should also be generating revenue from those other those are the clients, I just personally shouldn't be spending all my time there. Mm-hmm. So it's- um, Why should you? Sounds like a pyramid scheme, but that's that's kind of the way people have- built <laughs> why, should, why
2: should you be generating from the B and C? Why not just take on only A?
1: Because you never know where new business is gonna come from. So, so if B or C will turn into an A. Happens all the time. You get a random phone call or email, or maybe a company just went public. Maybe a client just became a partner in a firm and he went from making 200 grand to now 2 million, or uh, got shares in a company a long time ago and they took off, they just inherited money. It just randomly happens all the time. So you you, you kind of want, you do want to stay in touch. And the longer I've been in this business, the more you realize that the new business, there is some predictability, but there's also a lot of unpredictability of where you get clients and your revenue from.
0: And- And just the so you're you feel that right now with your balanced book and what you think is optimal to run the business, you're capped out personally in terms of capacity. But you can't I'm not
1: I'm definitely I'm definitely not capped out, but I um I 80% of my business comes from other advisors. So uh there's three gentlemen that I work with that are all in their late 50s, early 60s, 60s, who I'm gonna be buying their book over their next three to seven years. So mm-hmm. I'm already partnering with them on a portion of their book, but I'll be buying at the price. So when that eventually happens, I'm gonna I'm gonna need some some real support to take on another 100, 200 clients or so. And you know, like I was mentioning before, obviously there's gonna be natural attrition. I'm not gonna take on every client and call everybody, but you you try to capture as much as you can because I, I I do have to I do have to compensate that. So I, I am buying the book and you want to put some resources behind it? Mm -hmm.
2: Sam, I was going to transition to like, actually, okay, so we established scaling is necessary, Uh, but did you have more on the, uh,
0: on testing that hypothesis? No, I think that, that we've thoroughly done that. And now I'm excited to go exactly probably where you you were about to go. So um, I'll, I'll start actually, because I think it's exciting and we, I have a real passion for this type of scaling work. And now that we've established that your need is legitimate, it's more fun to say, okay, let's think about the staffing versus. So I, I'd like to start with a, with a point about scaling through automation. And I think, especially with your engineering background, you'll appreciate yeah. this perspective because it will take maybe some of the pressure off of you about how you're thinking about scaling through staffing. Sure. So when you have a good process and you're analytical, and like you said, you like to be in the weeds and you've got the technical expertise, to scale what you're doing to create more capacity from your own mind and your own process is the lever you're pulling is automation, which is taking things that you know how to do that could be systematized with you know, the same inputs, going through decision algorithms, what have you, and doing more outputs. But the the, the real thrust of automation is to just lower the cost of process by making it more structured. And the, what a lot of people don't talk about when they talk about automation is you can do automation through systems, which a lot of people associate, or you can do it mm-hmm. through staff, but you're essentially trying to achieve the same thing. So when you say I'm hiring junior people, essentially what you're saying is I'm bringing more capacity into the room and I'm automating some of your my work, like speaking as you, yes. by yes. pushing it down to them. But you could also just as easily push it down to machines. And oh, it's correct. a continuum. So I'm only saying that in so much, not say that people and machines are are interchangeable, but I think I'm hoping that it evokes in you this idea that the logic is the same, like for you to do something and for you to put it into a system or you to create a process that's so standard and you can document it and it has the Mm -hmm. same kind of rules and logic to it. That's how you would program a computer or an automation through software type solution. You're doing no different when you're doing it through people. It's just the way you program people, if you want to put it that way, is a little bit different. And then it also involves some interpersonal skills and some coaching. And, you know, you also, you know, to enable human beings, um, it's different from machines because you also want to take investment in their growth and their, and their personal lives and things like that. But, okay. but I want to pause there because where we're going to go next is when you talk about options for scaling and you talk about, oh, I, I just kind of assumed that we had to do it through a team. Um, what do you what do you think about what does that does that invoke anything just that that statement I made?
1: um so in, just as a general statement, our industry has been behind the curve when it comes to technology. We're not on the forefront. We use ancient compliance systems. There's a lot of bad stuff we kind comes when it comes to technology for our industry. but there has been in the past couple of years some big improvements that we've gone over the hurdle. and now ninety percent of what we do is e sign where even last year we needed things notarized and um, some documents. So our the processing of t- of onboarding a client has already shrunk. That time is already shrunk. So the time that my assistant sends, spends her client is reducing. So she's able to handle more capacity just based on technology. So uh, I'm excited to hear how we could do more.
0: Yeah. So I was just really setting the stage there because I think for this conversation, it's going to be important to to look at the different angles of which you might utilize staff and technology in tandem. But Jonathan, I know you wanted to sort of on this vein.
2: I was just gonna try and set a structure for it um, because uh, scaling is a trend or even delegating is a transformative change. So you really should approach it like a project. And that implies a certain budget of time, which it sounds like you have, but oftentimes people don't because a lot of times people need to scale because they're just totally overwhelmed. So they absolutely need to give work away and they don't appreciate that part of scaling is in in the short term is not going to reduce their workload. It will increase the workload because it's a project and it's a change. So you need to invest that time, but it sounds like you have the time. So that's that's very good. But then the second element is cost um, because to delegate effectively, you need to be able to give people a chance to do something that you would otherwise do. And to do it fully in such a way that they could potentially fail so there are yes. there are costs involved in that in addition to your uh, to your time and i think part of also what sam was saying about uh, automation is one of the areas that we see people fail often in scaling is if you're used to just talking to yourself because your process only involves yourself you're not very used to communicating how you're doing things and what you're doing and you're definitely not testing anything about what your process is and what you're doing so in the process of needing to communicate to others, which is an absolute critical point uh, in, in, you need to over-communicate when, when, when delegating. You also need to be thinking about what it is that you're doing. And when you start documenting it, you'll see a lot of opportunities for automation. And as to Sam's point, automation could include, oh, wow, I thought this was so critical for me to do, but really only 80% of this thing that I'm doing is, or 20% is really involving my, you know, all my, the combination of my skills and expertise and 80% of it is, I really could be giving it away. Um, So that's the kind of thing that you could start uh, uh, considering. Right.
0: And just one more quick point before you respond and and the analogy I was trying to make to appeal to the more analytical side of your brain. When you thought, when you did the e-sign process, for instance, Mm -hmm. as a small example, before, I assume you were just doing it either PDFs or manually or even on paper?
1: Right. Yeah. You just, you send clients PDF to print out and sign, and send back, which just typically creates friction because people don't have printers as much as they used to. Or you go, you physically get in a car and go, go see a client, which just takes time.
0: Yeah. So when you decided to go to the eSign route, you were scaling that process, the, you were through automation, you were creating the ability to scale that process. So when you think about what made you comfortable trusting that new solution or programming it, what did that process look like for you?
1: Well, there was no lack of trusting because I know it's been invented by a ton of lawyers and, uh, I'm okay using whatever they tell me to use. It's, it's just felt great not to have to go run see a client for a distribution paperwork or a wire when we could just, have a client he signed it on their phone so it made my life a ton easier
0: yeah so the 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 i guess what i was pointing at is the trust like you said the solution was already vetted or was already thought through right. very right. effectively or you knew the logic behind it was sound so instead mm-hmm. of you going and doing it in person or managing the process yourself you were willing to delegate that to the software solution and just let yeah. the software handle it and you don't look behind you and think Hey, every time I send this e-sign out, are they getting the right stuff? Is it going through the right process? You know, is the client having the same experience that you did when you would show up to their office, right? Right. When you think about delegating to staff,
1: actually, I never thought about that experience piece, but now, now I'll think about that all weekend. Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, this is what we're here for to make you make you think yeah. question. But it, it's a similar process to, and that's why I'm trying to make this analog when you're delegating to your staff. So you have to think about, okay, what are the things you can do like that, that would make your life easier? And how can you engender the same amount of trust and delegating to them as you would delegate it to something else? Where is the trust and the credibility and your comfort level coming from? Because you had mentioned, Hey, there was a vetting of lawyers or the solution and your perception had been vetted thoroughly enough where you didn't have to question it. When you're talking about staff, you are the person, you are that set of lawyers in this in this analogy. You are creating the process, you are creating the, uh, the, the actual instructions or the criteria, and then you're communicating that to another person. And then similarly to when you change process there and you created uh, more capacity through automation, you're doing the same thing with your assistants. You're doing the same thing with your junior people. It's just instead of having it being vetted by a third party in a known software solution, you're creating the process solution and you have to transfer it so that you feel that when it's off your plate, they've been given enough instruction, there's enough controls in place and there's enough things going on in the transfer that you don't have to think about it or worry about it anymore. And until you can feel that same level of trust, then you haven't, and this is where I think we're going back to Jonathan's point, you haven't communicated exactly what you need done well enough.
1: Right. And um, there's definitely, you definitely hit on how I how I feel kind of um insecure, let's say, or not trustworthy of the the end the end product being delivered. So I feel like I I could explain it enough. And I'm sure this is not unique to my business, but it always feels like it's just your problem. Um, we're dealing with people's money. So uh, 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 the wrong zero could really screw people up. So you want to make sure that it's, it's done right. Wires are, are done correctly. If they're buying a house. It needs to be in the escrow account at a certain time. So I find myself calling the wire desk, spending a half hour to make sure that goes through when I should not be doing that at all. I'm just leaving that to my junior people to execute. Uh, so I, there is a certain level of trust. I just, I haven't been able to get over that hump yet. Why do you trust yourself? Why do I? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the beginning, I definitely made mistakes, but now I've just been, I've, I've been doing this for 12 years and uh, I pretty much know everything. I know 90% of what I, of what I should know. And I know a lot of the pitfalls and mistakes that I've made. So uh, I know that I'm going to double check something to make sure it's done the right way. I,
2: I guess I should make it more specific to like the, the, what you'll delegate. Because if you think about what makes you trust yourself for that task, that helps you identify the people to whom you should be trusting so mm-hmm. if there's a certain attention to detail or you know other other soft skills or even technical skills that that you had that made you trust yourself then you know that that's that that's a, a decent start um for at least identifying uh, the right people right that's a
1: that's a good point so we did uh um we did personality tests and then the, the kind of worker you are, and I forget the name of the actual test that we used for all our employees and our, where we where we fit, what we're good at. And we, there was a, a coaching staff that we used up in Westchester to give us an analysis for our team. And it was pretty helpful to find out where, where people, where they were on the scale for attention to detail, um, who actually needs a rigid system and be told every step what they're due who's okay processing a challenge on their own and being creative with a solution, or is it somebody who actually needs something written in a manual, go to step seven, this is what you do. Um, It's really interesting. And it's actually, it's made me work with my junior guy that he's probably been now with me for a year and a half. I work with him differently after going through that that personality test because I know he can't just figure out a solution and Google the 1-800 number to call. I have to literally give him it in an email so he can call and give him specific directions. But if you give him a repeatable task to what Sam was mentioning, he'll do that task a hundred times.
2: Well, I mean, that makes it clearly easy what you, know, what you could delegate you know, on that level. But I, I guess you could expand it by saying, is it possible that there's another way to do certain things that you do that could be equally successful? You know, or is the way that you do things the, the optimal and only way?
1: Because if you definitely. Definitely, not, that, definitely not the latter. No, I, I think we're all. Oh, no, no, but it's, but it's like changing and evolving, right?
2: Because um, ultimately, to delegate, you need to be able to give people objectives, not the how. Because if all you're doing is the how, you're limiting your total capability to scale. Because you're constantly focused on exactly how everyone's doing everything. Now, if it's a system, like you know, checking you know, controls or things like that, that you shouldn't be teaching all the time. That should be documented and that's what Sam's saying. You, know, like you can remove a whole class of activity through seeing, oh, this is always the same no matter what. There's no, it's not like some specific email that I need to draft to a client to retain them or get, you know, get them to speak to me or something like that, where there right. might be a combination of skills. But even there, I guess it starts back to my project analogy, What's your definition of success after all this is over? Like, what does this look like to you? Like, what's the ideal state? You know, if you do, if you're if you're great at,
1: you know, achieving your your idea for scale. Um, I haven't really thought that through. I just I just imagine like a well-oiled machine where I can
0: where I yeah. can
1: it off and tell somebody this what needs to be, and I don't have to worry about it. I don't really to be involved as much. I just write an email, and I have that in some areas of my practice with the two people that work for me. But there's definitely other areas that are not where I'm spending more t- more time than I probably should. Right? But if so you don't have time.
2: a very, if, sorry, sorry, Bobby, no problem. if if you don't have a very defined like objective with all of this, or what it looks like, you know, to be successful, how would you know how you're doing with it? How would you know which tasks are helping you and which are not?
1: Uh, I've been going with the gut feeling. A
2: hundred percent,
1: but that's right. it. And it comes from, it's, it also comes from that
2: should like that's That's why testing the original assumption. So important also, because it's like scaling. Everyone knows that what that is, you know, but like I say, I'm saying the devil's in the details and mm-hmm. that's where you get really tripped up. So, but if scaling to you looks like you just have this, you know, you said Ponzi, but I know you know. I know you meant like just a not pyramid. Like what? What's a better way of saying it? I or didn't like, say
1: Ponzi. Just see, so just for the recording, I did not say Ponzi. <laughs> like that should be stricken from the record. Yeah, yeah. It was, was a pyramid where I take care of the eight clients, and I have junior people take certain things with Bs and Cs. I'm just. Say I was the operating model
0: for the record, also pyramid. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: But if it if it looks <laughs> like you know, you just have all these people that, are, that you trust, that, that are able to do what you're doing, just a lot more right. of it. You know, so that's why I was also starting with, what do you like to do? Because in your uh, definition of success, it has to include you doing more of the things that you think bring you specific fulfillment or where you have specific skills, et cetera. And then the rest you're trying to get rid of. And that implies a, a significant loss of control. Uh, It will feel like that. And as you're testing that, you just want to make sure that you're in pursuit of an objective that you're clear about. Otherwise you'll at the first sign of it, someone will fail. Someone will send an email that was bad. Someone will miss a zero failure is definitely part of this process. So the first, you know, just like any transformation project, the first sign of failure, you're going to start rolling it back. But if you're clear about what your objective is, you'll, you'll say, okay, logically, I'm going to have some failure along the way, but this is what I'm looking for. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and we've been dancing around a few different topic areas because it's actually a very robust topic, but, but to kind of, to kind of come back, there is this, there's a few aspects I just want to summarize quickly, um, which we kind of, to, to the date, there's the, why are you de- Why are you delegating and making sure that you had that and we shore that up? And then there's the idea of let- letting people make mistakes as part of trust. So I think a lot of it centers around this idea of what is trust to you mm-hmm. and how do you c- create it? Like we talked about trust in software or trust in other things. And there's reasons why you can trust other solutions implicitly. And it could be you have to question what that is. Is it because you're you're you know there won't be mistakes made, or you know that you're in control, or that you know that there's certain aspects of it that are always like you know the limited universe of outcomes.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's control. Like I I need to be the one doing it. I need to press send. I don't have that kind of control issue. It's more just making sure that it's done correctly. So I'll, I'll put it more kind of in the results oriented category. Right? Like did we actually execute what we were supposed to execute? for the client or it's the timeline that we were supposed to do it. And uh, as everybody knows, when you when you work with younger people, they just some things don't happen. They didn't realize they were supposed to do this. You miss a deadline, some of this go out by the cutoff. Uh, all that stuff happens. So I I, I kind of pre fear what can happen. And I end up just doing it all myself to make sure it's it's done. But it's not, it's not because I need to be the one controlling it. I'm very happy to to you delegate someone to do it. Uh, I just fear the, as, you, as John was mentioning, the, the oops along the way and, and the failures during the growth process.
0: Yeah, and that's where that last piece of trust is. And like you mentioned, when you were younger in your career and you were making mistakes, that mm-hmm. means that there was a container for you to make the mistakes so that you could learn to get to the level of expertise that you have. And right. you as a, as a mentor and somebody who is now leading a team, You have to create that same container as been mentioned that the mistakes can be made. And once the mistakes are made, there's a strong feedback process so that the process that led to the mistake can be created. And that's what ties it back to the advisement of you have to know what the objective is and have to communicate it clearly so that that you can analyze what was the mistake against that objective and look at not having them do it the exact same way that you might do it. But so that whatever process they're engaging that created the mistake, you guys can have a productive conversation to address it, but then allow them to get back on the horse and keep trying. Right. That's a a good point.
2: You can document all your processes, create a perfect handbook, create perfect training, and then create mini-use through that. You're scaling it through very documented processes that leave very little margin for error and that you can put controls on top of. That's definitely a way to do it, and it sounds like, on some level, that's almost the way you're you're trying to do it without really uh, consciously thinking that that's how you're doing it.
1: Yeah, I've I have been I haven't had salary since I was 22. I've been on my own and work my own business.
2: Everybody does. Everybody does. I mean, it's just, but it's identifying the way you work and what's going to work for you so that you're not trying to do what you think you should do, but you're doing something that's actually going to work for you. So what I'm suggesting is that there's different ways to scale, you know, another way to scale, like some people in your kind of business would say it's better to have five people sending out tons of emails and, You know, we'll lose some of the existing clients, but we'll gain 50 more, you know, or something like that. It's just pure numbers rather than getting every single interaction, you know, quote unquote, perfect, you know? So, so like, but that's really depends on what your objective is, but if your objective is to grow exactly at your current pace or to grow without, you know, introducing any risk that otherwise that, that you wouldn't introduce by yourself, then, then that's your limitation. And you have to accept that. And that's why I'm saying, then you're going to be focused heavily on the how people are working. You can't give that to them on a day-by-day basis because that's just not efficient. It's not very inspiring. You're not going to have people who really are very effective in their role. Um, so either you need to quickly switch to an objective-based uh, model of delegating and don't worry if they do it right, quote unquote, but it's like that they, they do it, they, they get you a result that you're, that you're looking for, but not maybe necessarily the way you would have done it or you right. need to, you know, document, but that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, these are choices based on being very clear on what it looks like at the end of this.
0: Yeah. And, 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 well, about the documenting, cause I know there's been some of the things I'm, I'm desperately trying to synthesize what I want to be a unique advisement for you based on this conversation. And when we talk about documenting, there's a few, there's, there's, here's the aspect that I wanted to get across at least the documenting for yourself and to marry it with Jonathan's advisement on trying to make it objective-based for your people and how do you build trust and how do you scale a team effectively, there's, a, there's there's if let me go back to the document and put a pin in that for a second. Let me just say for conscious teams and for having good relationships and building trust, there's two main things that you want to cultivate in your people. And those two dimensions are authority and autonomy. Let's just put that out there as a basic rule of thumb, which is going to guide the next few things I'm going to say, because this sure. is... Tied it together, how it's gonna create that. But if you think about it in your young career and also anyone who is thriving and wants to stay in their role, no matter what scope of work you give them, you wanna give it to them with, give them their own authority and give them as much autonomy as you can. So like they can experiment and they can find their own process and they can learn because those two aspects is what creates sustainable relationships. And that's the other side of what Jonathan was saying was if you restrict authority or restrict autonomy, meaning you're overly prescriptive, you don't give them enough scope, you don't give them room to make mistakes, it creates frustration and it creates issues. So that's the base. But then we're for you when we're talking about, well, how do you give them authority and autonomy? The documentation exercise from your perspective is really the self-reflection and the self-alignment. Can you write down what you want to achieve and what you want to do? And when you talk about what trust means to you, let's say just writing any simple process, writing it down for yourself is really to derive not the how it should be done, but what about your current process makes you trust it? And this is tied back to what Jonathan was saying earlier, which is what about your process makes you trust that the outcome is solid? And when you can write down your process and you can derive that piece of it, that's the piece that I would at least recommend you start with the coaching, which is here's how I do it. And this is why I trust the outcome of what I do. And that's what you give to somebody. And with that mm-hmm. as the container, then you've already created sort of a, a inter- interface point where, you know, if you achieve the same level of fidelity accuracy, validity, that makes me trust my own process, that's my objective, that's my outcome. And that's kind of at the level that, you know, I would communicate to a team member and then they can run with it. And you should have some base where now you are, you're together and then they can work from there. So I, I know that was a lot and I'm synthesizing as we talk. Does that clarify anything for you?
1: It, it, it does. Uh, I, like for instance, this this, this younger guy, I don't want to mention his name, blast him all over the internet. But he I gave him something and I gave him a PDF template of what I used for a previous client meeting. We were changing some things. And I said, I'm gonna give you, I, I really want to just do the presentation and give it to him, and make him just fill in the blanks. But I told him he could have a little more creative control about the colors, and it was it was I kind of joked around about it. But all I really wanted at the end for him to go do was just come back with something I could just give to a present in front of a client. That was clear and concise, and it's in my inbox now. I can't wait to open it. I have no idea what it's going to be, but it's um, it's hard for me to to give somebody that control versus me just basically doing it myself. And I I I can I get what you're saying from the autonomy, giving him his own creative space, his ability to fail, and um, it, it it all makes sense because that's basically what what I went through. And for that
2: presentation, it's like what does. What, what's his specific objective, you know, like what, uh, like you, you don't have to answer that, but I'm saying, but what's, you know, specifically like, did it have to look at because, or did it have to be because at the end of the day, what you have in your head, like clear, concise, like it, it might be clear and concise the way he, he does it. It just might not be clear and concise in the way you would have thought. Like, so, because depending on what you're trying to explain, it could be 50 pages or two or whatever, you know, so like, it, the, the better the instruction on what the end result needs to be, the the stronger the product. But, but yeah, let, let hard,
1: me add, sorry, it's sorry go Bobby. It's hard for me sometimes to relay all the information and experience exactly. that I have in, into a presentation when he just thinks I'm asking him to give three retirement scenarios. But in my mind, I know that there's limitations to scenario one, two, and three based on maybe estate planning in this one aspect or maybe income on this one. And then it's hard to relay 10, 12 years of experience in a very short time frame and not spend three hours explaining this full thing, when I could just do it in 15 minutes. And that's where 100%. I understand,
2: But it's investment, you know, because right. the less you can relay or the less you can, it's, it's scaling is about investing in people to increase capability overall, you know? So, but that investment is time. Like it's like any investment and you have to accept that some investments fail, you know? So, because otherwise, again, if you go back to my project, trans, you know, transformation project analogy, you're, you're going to roll it back up every time because people are going to fail because they can't possibly know 12 years of experience that's in your head. Uh, and and I'll, I'm going to throw you one. Uh, I'll validate that there are, you un- that you are unique, that there are unique, uh, you have a unique combination of away with people and knowledge uh, that sets you apart from other financial planners. And uh, for the audience, I'm speaking from personal uh, experience and and having uh, worked with many different financial planners, but I would warrant that you may not know exactly what that is. You may not know what the special, your special sauce is for yourself because mm-hmm. you're making presumptions about Every step along the way of the how, being every all of this matters, and in fact, a lot of it probably doesn't. Mm-hmm. Not that it doesn't matter, but a lot of it is not as precise as you think might think it, you know it would be. So another exercise you might want to do is get some feedback on you know even being transparent you know with existing clients, maybe not your A's, but uh, you know getting some feedback about you know what what they like about the service what they don't etc and uh help you know making that modulate a little bit where you're you're scaling
1: right no i think that's i think that's very fair it's hard to to know how other people perceive you or how other people look at you or they they value your service
0: yeah and one thing to add on to that about how it is to grow a team and maybe this will sound more severe but hopefully it will also kind of make you think about it this way, you will never find somebody to replicate you, especially that mix of what Jonathan's talking about, that mix of soft skills and technical skills, it's not replicable. So when you talk about challenging yourself when we're in this episode and you're saying, you know, you wanna grow, growing when you hire people, especially in the space you're in, means that you plus another person is going to equal a new product and equal a new process. And I think lean, like accepting and acknowledging that is gonna be part of the scaling process for you because no one will be able to replicate what you have. Certainly you'll be able to transfer them skills and you'll be able to trans, You'll be able to mentor them and you'll be able to give them uh, away. But once you mix your energy with another person's energy, it will become a different product. It has to. And like, that's the one thing where a lot of people, when you talk about your instinct to pull things back because you could do it yourself, it's almost a lack of, openness to change what the product that you have now and like that has to change when you become part of a team because you become part of a greater whole and it won't just be you and and like you said it's not it might not be as much of a control thing but it's definitely a a thing that it's a loss this is what everyone has trouble with it's a loss of control of your product that's coming from you and that's something that has to happen to be part of a team and you have to lean into that a little bit
1: Right. Uh, even small things about even just scheduling meetings for a year, I tested out, not even a full year, but I had my assistant reach out and schedule meetings for me. And I just found that it was it was hap- I was able to schedule more meetings more effectively, reaching out myself to clients because I could te- I could side text them, give them a quick call versus my assistant writing an email with with these are the availability of times. And when you're dealing with a certain client base, especially the older generation, Um, they want to deal with the the same person. So I I pulled back from that because I realized that some clients just didn't appreciate getting a random email to set up a meeting when they know they can just call and text me off the cuff or on a Sunday. So it almost took away the person, uh, the relationship a little bit. So I pulled back from that. And I guess to your point, it's still kind of the fear that I'm changing the product if I'm having more of the team do stuff that I'm already doing.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a challenge for a lot of people to make that new product something you can be proud of and feel comfortable with, knowing that it can't, it can't possibly stay the same as it is now. Right. I, I
2: would definitely focus heavily on the objective. Like At the end of the day, what do you want this to look like? Because even in the example of the, the PowerPoint, and I, I could speak from experience, because like even like something as simple as an email, in my head, they someone might not understand that this one-paragraph email is really much more complex than they realize because I've I've really thought through so many different aspects of every word, choice, et cetera. But meanwhile, I, if I give the objective of some the objective of someone else, it's possible they might turn around and say, Why are you even sending this email? I just picked up the phone, it took me two seconds and I, you know, got whatever done. Um, no. so like that's the difference Be that that's real scaling. Because real scaling is I have all these objectives I want to reach. And all this how noise, which is where most people get stuck in the, in the scaling, is just that noise. And to your point about the simple idea about uh, scheduling a call, it, if you really know what your objective is, there's certain interaction that clients want, then you, it helps you separate from the things that seem pretty obvious to scale and the things that uh, are
0: really where it matters to scale. Right. So we're throwing a lot at you. There's no easy answer. How are you feeling right now? Has this helped at all? Is there anything specific? You yeah, guys
1: just have to join my practice and just part of just management. I think I'm just going to have to hire both of you guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's one way to go about it. Do you have yeah, any thoughts, well, on it, thoughts? In all,
1: in all seriousness, uh, I've, I've been dealing with this for a couple of years and trialing certain things. But to, to Jonathan's point, I actually haven't really sat down and thought about for five years from now, what do I my, what do I want my clients to to feel and experience? I've just been more trying to copy and paste a model that I've seen from other guys in my firm and not so much starting in the future and and working backwards. So I think that's uh it's valuable for me to to kind of look at myself and objectively take a look at what what resources I actually need for the practice that I want and not just try to throw pieces together or see what works, but working backwards would be a good idea.
0: Cool. Any other questions for us that we maybe haven't addressed or anything that the conversation has brought up for you?
1: No, there there was a lot there. Um I really appreciate your guys' time and thoughts.
0: It was great. Awesome. Well thanks, thanks for coming, for coming on. yeah. All right. Happy Friday. Happy Friday everyone. We'll talk to you next week.